you know, there were the moments where I was able to recognize the weight of it. This is a, a moment where it's 3 a.m. I'm in a study room and my friend who I met a few weeks ago is rapping to his meme album on Bandcamp. Being in that moment, I was enjoying it, but like taking a step back from everything and being like, okay, I really am experiencing this and I am having a good time. I wish I, I did that a little bit more. Appreciating the moments where you're able to share with others is very important. You're listening to Michael McMahon. Michael graduated from the University of Michigan LSA Honors Program this past May with degrees in economics, mathematical sciences, statistics, and philosophy. You heard me correctly. He was a quadruple major. After graduation, Michael started work as a research analyst at the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland. He ultimately hopes to return to school to pursue a PhD in economics and become a professor. My name is Sarah Remberg. I'm a senior in the LSA Honors Program at the University of Michigan, and this is How to Student, a show where we explore all the things that make college so stressful and help students, just like you, be successful. I met Michael when we both worked as academic peer advisors for the honors program during student orientation throughout the summer of 2019. He quickly became famous for the combination of his incredibly chill nature and his seemingly unbelievable academic resume. I wanted to bring Michael on the podcast to dive deeper into his journey to such academic success, but Michael is so much more than just a litany of academic feats. He has a reputation for being a fantastic tutor, mentor, and residence hall advisor. On this episode, we will discuss the importance of community and conversation in college, finding your own version of success, and imposter syndrome. I wanted to start by asking about his time as an RA. So I started as an RA. I was a winter hire my sophomore year. I was a resident in Alice Lloyd for my freshman year and first semester sophomore year. And then I was hired as an RA for second semester sophomore year. And that semester, I was just a plain RA in a in a random hall that I didn't know anyone in. And then the next year, I was placed in the hall that I lived in. And that hall is specifically Shipman Hall. Shipman is a scholarship program. And when you get Shipman, you have the option to live in Shipman Hall. Uh, you aren't obligated to do it, but pretty much all of Fifth Klein are usually Shipman. The Shipman Scholarship is a merit-based scholarship offered to incoming first-year students. According to the Shipman Scholarship website, they award students based on their academic achievement, exceptional talent in the arts and sciences, leadership abilities, and overall potential. I think the best way to explain it and living in Shipman Hall is just like you are doing really stupid stuff with really smart people. I was an RA for them in, in junior and senior year, which was a blast. So what was the hardest part of being an RA? I think the hardest part is actually connecting with your residents. So being an RA, I think the most important thing is to make your residents feel like they belong and that they're a part of a community. I was very lucky to be in Shipman and to be a Shipman RA. So I was actually, I think, as far as I know, the first Shipman RA who was Shipman. And I think that led to a lot more cohesion. That helped a lot bridge the gap of like having my residents have a reason to care about me. Because when I was hired as a, as a winter hire, 
as a sophomore and I was put in just a, a random hall, my residents really had no reason to care to talk to me, which, you know, was valid. So it was really difficult for me to try to start building a relationship with these residents who didn't really have a reason to care about me. I think that's the hardest part and the most important. RAs are a valuable and sadly underutilized resource for mentorship and connection. Their primary job is to foster community in dorms. Most of them are also older students who are likely able to offer sound advice for things beyond how to handle your annoying roommate. If you're currently living in a dorm, the next time you see your RA, say hello, strike up a conversation. You might just learn something or even find yourself a new friend. I then asked Michael if any moments stuck out to him from his time as an RA. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that can happen when you're an RA that you can see. Uh, for me in particular, I think if, if we want to go like kind of cliche RA conversation with residents was talking with, there was uh, these two residents who, who moved in early and they were the only two to move in at that point. And we had a big conversation about sexuality and identities because the international student was from Bahrain, which it wasn't very accepting of different sexualities. So we had a kind of dialogue conversation about what that means, how that can affect people and stuff like that. So that was a really interesting learning experience for me for that was probably my first like quote unquote like RA conversation that I ever had. But I also just enjoyed hearing the perspective of, of a few other people. And I think the other resident was from a relatively small town. It was interesting to hear their perspectives and kind of how they will kind of react or respond to being thrown into this huge melting pot that is Ann Arbor. What was the most rewarding part of being an RA? I think those conversations like that, or even like, it doesn't even have to be conversations that are important. Just like even the conversations I had with residents where we were just like joking around and being college kids together, like that to me was what I was being an RA for, was just connecting with residents, laughing with them, and having some sort of community. I think that was definitely the the most rewarding. And, you know, some of those residents I still have some contact with. It even got to the point where they were calling me mom, which was its own thing, but it was it was a fun experience to build those relationships and, and have conversations with them. It moved me to think about conversations a lot less of like, what am I going to say? And a lot more of like, how are we going to create this conversation together? I think it's like active listening or something like that was like what it's called, where you're supposed to truly listen to what the other person is saying and not just think about what you're going to say next. And that was something that that like RA training focused a lot on. I feel like peer advising, we also kind of talked a little bit about that. One thing that you know, I remember from peer advising with you is that when I first walked with you from the library to the honors office for lunch, you, know, you made sure to point out the the elevator and other accessibility things. And, and I had not thought to do that, despite at one time actually needing some accessibility access. I just think things like that, you, you end up thinking a lot more about sort of the diversity on campus and how your words can impact someone. A big part of, of what I learned as an RA is inclusivity. And that can go as, as far as using inclusive language, not assuming people's pronouns, thinking about accessibility things. 
that stuff like that is is important as an RA and definitely something that that I picked up because of working in housing as an RA and and that you know has still followed of thinking about accessibility thinking about who's in the conversation and making sure people feel like they're included making sure that the conversation topics are open for everybody and you know trying to include as many people as you can college is about way more than classroom learning as michael mentions part of the experience is engaging in meaningful conversations and hearing new perspectives take a minute to reflect on the types of conversations and interactions you have had with peers lately are there ways you could have been more inclusive did you learn something new Now let's transition into what I'm sure you've all been wondering. How did Michael's quadruple major come to be? So I actually came in thinking I was going to go into astrophysics and get a double minor in philosophy and computer science. So I, summer before freshman year, created an Excel sheet, planned out, I think I might have planned out all four years of like getting this major and double minor setup. And then, so I got in first semester, uh, kind of went, you know, went for it, took honors calc three, honors intro to physics, intro to astrophysics, great books. And then realized that I didn't like physics all that much. Uh, with, with honors physics one, I, I really wasn't understanding the material at like a fundamental level, which I knew was going to be important because I knew I wanted to get a I wanted to become a professor. So I was like, okay, that didn't work out. I'm not enjoying this as much as I want. I should take classes that I enjoy. Here, Michael raises an important point. Sometimes plans need to change. Often students feel a need to grit something out because it is part of their plan, but this can be counterproductive. Michael realized he wasn't enjoying what he was learning, so he switched paths. It doesn't make Michael a worse student. At the end of the day, you should love what you are doing. The other major that I was kind of thinking about when applying to the colleges was economics and, and specifically politics, philosophy, and economics, the PPE major. And when I looked at it, PPE didn't really fit what I wanted anymore. Uh, so what I decided to do instead was just to go for the economics. And then uh, I knew I wanted to get a PhD in economics. So I knew I had to get a math major. Uh, so I, I planned on that. And luckily, mathematical sciences is a, a very flexible major in the math department where I can count some economics courses towards my mathematical sciences. And I think at first I was just going to do econ, math sciences, and a philosophy minor. And then I started to kind of plot out the next four years in an Excel sheet again, and I noticed a lot of empty space. So I started to fill it with more philosophy classes. And I was like, oh, I can totally triple major like without, without a problem. Probably by first semester sophomore year, second semester sophomore year, I realized like, okay, triple major. I can do this. I realized, I think second semester sophomore year, first semester junior year, that I was only like two classes away from a stats minor. This was probably junior year, actually, first semester. And I was like, oh, I'm only two classes away from a stats minor. I might as I'm just going to start taking those classes. So I, I signed up for those classes. And then second semester junior year, I realized, oh, I'm only two more classes away from a stats major. And I had the room. So I decided to just, you know, tack that on. The plan wasn't to quadruple major. It was, it just kind of started, it, a domino effect started of like, how far can I push this? How, how much can I fit into these four years? And, you know, to be fair, I did take about 15 credits over the three summers, 
so I basically took an extra semester. So I really did it in like four and a half years, but was able to condense it thanks to summer classes. The reason it was possible was because of all of the overlap. And the reason it was so easy for me to add on that stats major. So math and econ, it was kind of obvious. The overlap was there intentionally. So it was very specifically meant to intertwine easily. Statistics and math overlapped a ton. And even some of the economics overlapped. And then philosophy, I was able to get a math course to count towards philosophy. So there's kind of like this Venn diagram-like thing of, of courses that overlapped among different majors. And it, it tied together really nicely, luckily enough. Gotcha. And so when I hear quadruple major, and I think when you gave your spiel uh, as a peer advisor, my first thought was, how the hell did he manage to balance all those classes with work? And I remember you worked, I think, a couple part-time jobs, and you were involved in clubs, and you seemed to have a life. And you, I think you might have even had a partner at the time. Just how did you think about how to manage things? Or why don't, why don't you walk me through your process? So it was incredibly chaotic, to be, to be honest. Starting second semester sophomore year, I had at least two jobs at any given time. By second semester senior year, I think I had three or four. Yeah, it got pretty intense. And that was very much like, how hard can I push myself? How much can I put onto my plate? Which I don't necessarily suggest people do. But what I ended up doing with my time was I would just kind of I've never been good at, at keeping an agenda or keeping a calendar or anything like that. So I would just kind of in my head figure out, okay, what things do I need to get done and when? And kind of set up a, a list of priorities and use my time accordingly. So I would you know, spend however much time I need on, on this reading and then move to the next thing and, and kind of go from there. I was taking it second by second, pretty much all of senior year. I was living in the moment because I couldn't think ahead anymore. I needed to get the work done at that time. So it was kind of this very chaotic style of getting things done when they needed to get done. Do you have any regrets about some choices you've made in, in terms of taking things on or, or are you thankful for the process and, and you're moving on? Yeah, I mean, I think I do wish that I put more of an attempt in maintaining friendships kind of what ended up happening and what I did in high school, this kind of started in high school of like, I was friends with, with people in high school because we were just around each other all the time. And when we weren't around each other all the time, then we didn't talk as much because I, I was, I was used to spending X amount of hours with around these people every week. So it was just kind of obvious that we were friends and then we would maintain that and hang out after school and whatever. But in college it's a lot different where you're you might only have one class with someone or you might only freshman year you might be neighbors but then sophomore year they could move off campus or you might live in different places so you need to pull up, put a lot more effort in those relationships and I wish that's something that I specifically tried to do because it's it's a lot harder to maintain friendships in college than it is in, in high school. What do you think defines success for a college student? I think it's not great to compare yourself to other people. And I think Shipman taught me this as well, because there was someone in Shipman who was uh, also an LSA, but he was doing like physics, pure math, chemistry and computer science. But then he bumped chemistry down to a minor because it was too easy. He is like the epitome of like academia to me, of especially natural science academia, because what he was doing was way, way more work than what I was doing, because all of those majors are huge. 
and and my majors are you know relatively small and interconnected. A lot of those are really separate. And he was like it from from my year like the example, the epitome of what you can do at the University of Michigan. So I I learned very early on because he was always like that since freshman year. So I learned very early on that like you know regardless of what I do, like there are going to be kids who are doing like wilder things, and even people who get dual degrees. That's even a lot more work than what I'm doing. So for me, it was always just how much can I handle? So, so I think for me, success was can, can I reach my maximum potential? What, what does that mean for me to spend my time effectively to do all that I wanted to do and also be able to show what, what I, what I can, I guess. So a lot of it was just like how, crazy can I get of like how much things can I put on my plate before they fall and I, I never found an upper bound I just kind of kept adding things and before I knew it I graduated so uh, success for me was just pushing myself to be the the best version of myself that I can be what I said earlier about you know uh, being the best version of you that that you are and the way that I did it was just by, you know, I kept adding things to my plate. It's important to recognize that that is different for everyone. That be the best version of you is very, very different from the best version of me. And that's, a, you know, a gen- generally you, not just you, Sarah. Like, it, it really is different for everybody. And so while that might look like, you know, four majors and three jobs for me, if that's one major and one job for someone else, that's that's totally fine. Like by no means is it expected for the best version of anybody to look exactly the same as the best version of someone else. And that takes, you know, some introspection and and looking into yourself and seeing what does it mean for me to be the best version of me that that is, because you need to kind of separate it from, from other people because it is so subjective. So I wanted to clarify that and not, you know, send a message that everybody should quadruple major because that's not the case. That's just, what happened to be good for me and that doesn't mean that that's you know good for everyone probably not it's not good for very many people it was i would say barely good for me but uh you know here we are imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their accomplishments or talents and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud have you felt that way i know i have it's unfortunately common on college campuses i wanted to know what michael had to say about it Imposter syndrome is so real. To this day, I still feel it in my job, and I felt it a lot in college. Trust that you are where you are because you earned it in, at some capacity. There's there's a reason that you are where you are, and and you hopefully worked hard to get there. So don't doubt yourself just because other people seem like they, you know, didn't need to work as hard or, or whatever. Like. Trust that you are where you are for a reason and, and believe in yourself to continue to move forward and continue to be where you want to be because you've earned it, not from fluke and not from chance. Like you have hopefully put in the work and effort to get where you are. Yeah, absolutely. And hearing that, it's wild to me that you would struggle with that because you're, you know, clearly intelligent, capable and you know, on to great things. So it's actually, it's really interesting because I've, I've also struggled with imposter syndrome. I think a lot of 
I think it's probably I'd say the majority of students mm -hmm. uh, would say that they've struggled with it. Um, but it's always interesting to hear people that I sort of put up on this pedestal as being you know, exemplary and even they struggle. I am also living with my mom right now. And when she asked who I was interviewing for this, I said, oh, my friend, Michael, the quadruple major uh, from peer advising, you know, and I, I really wanted to talk to him because he's probably the most happy go lucky kid. I've had the benefit of knowing, like, I loved running into you in the USB and stuff. So you, you put that out externally, you're smiling, kind, um, and you seem to be super chill. Did you have ever... Um, issues sort of with feeling overly stressed. You talked about being in a chaotic time. Did, did mental health ever come up for you or or you just had a way of sort of channeling your inner Michael Zen? Because uh, that's really <laughs> when I think of you, that's sort of how I picture it. Yeah, I, I definitely did struggle a lot. Uh, and, and I mean, I still do. I don't know. I like to kind of put out the energy that I, I wish to receive. So, so that's where a lot of that smiling and, and being chill and it's kind of the fake it till you make it mentality. And that's something that I kind of started in high school when I was, you know, didn't have really any self-confidence. I hit like a really low point in high school and I was like, okay, I need to change this somehow. And <clears throat> I decided to do the, you know, fake it till you make it, act confident until you are. And it, you know, worked pretty well, but I, I, did definitely struggle. There was a lot of anxiety. The me stacking all of those things onto my plate was a lot of work and very taxing and, and by no means easy. So it was, it's a constant thing of, I don't know. I, I, I like to present myself as chill because I try to be all of the time. And if there's times that I aren't, then I recognize that or times where I'm anxious or, uh, you know, feel, feeling down, I remind myself that like, okay, this is only a moment, this amount of time, even if it's like a few days or a week. I, I try to have perspective of like, you know, in five years, how much is this few days, this amount of time going to mean? Am I going to remember it? Because when I look back, I do remember some of the harder times, but I also remember times that were a lot better where I was, you know, happy hanging out with friends talking to you in the USB, I, I tend to remember the, the better times uh, just as much as I remember the, the worst times. So getting that perspective of like, okay, yes, the, it's it's rough right now, but there will be better times. That's what I do. And it works a lot of the time. I mean, that's great advice to, to live presently. And in the grand scheme of things, like that paper, you're staying up late to finish in five years when you're at some job that you like, or you're you know, maybe you're dating someone that's exciting for you. Like, you know, you're not going to remember that paper or the contents of that paper. And it's sort of, I, I view college as a way of learning to navigate, you know, being on your own slowly, mm -hmm. um, learning skills. Uh, and it's, it's less about, you know, individual assignments as much as. You know, and then just kind of going off that a little bit, like, you know, at any given time, that assignment is only going to be X percent of your grade, you know, and that, and that percent might add or subtract, but, uh, you know, and even at the end of that, of that semester, that grade in that class is only going to be X percent of your GPA. Like people, especially jobs are realizing now that, and especially colleges are a lot of times recognizing now and, and employers are recognizing that people are more than just 
a GPA number. So there's, you know, a lot more depth to humanity. And I think that's what makes it so special. So recognizing that, you know, this paper is only X amount. There's no point in me stressing about it or staying up so late that I really take some mental tax when in a few years it's it's not going to mean all that much. As long as you truly do try your hardest, I think that's all that really matters. And then this is the question that I ask all of my podcast guests, and it's what would you tell your freshman year college self? I've thought about this a lot, and, and I'm not sure because I, I am a big believer in like not regretting anything. Everything has led me to where I am. So I, I wouldn't want to say anything that would change the course of my of my time. But if I could just say like, I don't know, there's going to be nights that are, you know, really rough, working on a lot of work, have a lot of anxiety about being a human, maintaining relationships, having jobs, working on four majors. But there will be times that balance that. Kind of what we were talking about earlier of like, understand the perspective because it did take me a little while to kind of figure that out and i think it's okay that it takes people that it might take you a while to figure that out but i feel like that really would help me early on of just like being in the mindset of time will always pass and your kind of experience will have ups and downs and just recognizing that and appreciating all of it for what it is i think it does make it better the contrast of recognizing where you were and when you get out on the other side and you can have the perspective of like, man, I really did all of that and worked through all of that and hopefully have become a better person because of it. Thanks for listening to episode seven of How to Student. If you liked what you heard, please be sure to share and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram using the handle at How to Student Podcast for more college tips, episode announcements, and behind the scenes content. This episode was created and produced by Sarah Renberg. Special thanks to Michelle Jelling, our social media coordinator, and Mika Levesque Manti, the project advisor. This has been a presentation of Packard Street Productions.